1975, I was born again by the Holy Spirit of Jesus. A few nights after this event, I was transported into heaven. I was with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. I didn't see any images. It was strictly an experience in the Spirit. At that time, I was merged into the body of Jesus, made one with the Word of God. God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. This happened to me again a few days later, after the first event. I was totally on fire for things of God, but I had no idea that I was to be a minister. I didn't even know a woman could be a minister. God did begin immediately teaching me about the work of prophets. Later in the churches, the word of knowledge would often surface through me. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit told about in 1 Corinthians 12. People began to recognize that I had a spiritual calling on my life. One day, the pastor, Robert Tilton, at the church I was attending, Word of Faith in Farmer's Branch, Texas, he, stood, he got up on the pulpit and surprised me because I hadn't gone around telling people I was a prophet. But Bob said, Joan is not a teacher, she's a prophetess. And our Bible teacher said, that's it, because he had often started to tell the class I was called by God as a teacher, but he always had what he said was a check in his spirit, and he didn't do that. And then when he heard Bob say prophet, he knew that was it. I was also another office. Uh, you will recall I was taken into heaven twice and merged into the body of Jesus. One day I was riding along the road and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I have called you and set you in the body of Christ as an apostle. I was shocked. I said, apostle, what's that? At that point, I began trying to see what an apostle did in the New Testament church. First, I asked our Bible teacher, I said, who are the apostles? Because at the church I attended, at Word of Faith at that time, they were professing that there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers set in the church by Jesus after the resurrection, just as it says in Ephesians chapter 4. So they believed that there were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But who were the apostles? I'd never heard anybody mention it. Our Bible teacher said he didn't know who they were at the church we were attending. I said, well, what are they? What do they do? He didn't know that either. God began teaching me. Just as a very short subject, what God ta taught me is in Acts 15. He taught me that these apostles were people that had a special anointing to deal with doctrine in the churches, to deal with scriptures, and to set doctrine in the churches according to the scriptures. Prophets 
I knew what prophets were. They're all through the Bible in the Old Testament and New Testament. They often deliver messages of correction to the pastors, to the rulers, to the kings, to the people. Most of the Christian churches that I know of today will readily say they have evangelist pastors and teachers. I don't know anything about those offices. I assume they're what we seem to see them being, but I do know what apostles' prophets are, as taught me by God. And they have not been removed from the church, and Paul was not the last apostle. Actually, Paul was one of the first of the New Testament apostles, for he had never walked with Jesus. He was persecuting the church at the time Jesus was on the earth. Paul was not called as an apostle by Jesus until after Jesus was already in heaven. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to Paul and told him the calling that he had put upon the life of Paul. We should stop and think just a minute what all this religion thing is. In the Old Testament, prior to the time Jesus was born in the flesh and walked on this earth, in the Old Testament, we had the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews were of God and the Gentiles were usually not of God. We had only one place of worship and it was called the temple. At that time, after the children of Israel were brought into the promised land after they were brought out of Egypt and into the promised land, Jerusalem was said to be the place to worship. It was the place that the tribe of Judah and Benjamin lived during the divided kingdom. The first idols that I know of were basically that golden calf that Aaron built when Moses was meeting with God on the mountain. And the people didn't know whether Moses would come back or not, so they wanted Aaron to build them a god to go before them. And they built that golden calf. And, of course, God was furious over this. And then Moses, when he saw it, was furious over this. That was the first idol. Jeroboam built two golden calves when he became king of Israel. It was a divided kingdom by that time, and Jeroboam was very afraid of uh, Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Saul, and Rehoboam was given the kingdom, and Jeroboam was very, very frightened of Rehoboam. Excuse me, Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And Jeremiah was very, very frightened of Rehoboam. He was afraid. See, Rehoboam's kingdom was in Judah, Jerusalem. It was the tribe of Judah in Jerusalem. And Jeroboam was afraid that the people who were taught to go to Jerusalem to worship God, he was afraid that 
they would turn to the king Rehoboam and leave him and actually kill him. He was afraid they would even kill him. So he built two golden calves. He set one up in Dan and another up in Bethel. So he told the people instead of going to Jerusalem, they could go to Dan and Bethel to worship God. Later, Jesus is going to say, we don't worship God in Jerusalem or on a mountain, for we worship God in the spirit and in truth, John chapter 4. And that was the beginning of the New Testament church, basically after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. The New Testament church began. Up until then, it was not, there was not a New Testament church until Jesus arose. After he arose, Ephesians chapter 4, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There were no priests in the New Testament churches. That's Old Testament. A minister was either an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. Very quickly, they changed that. Men started calling them reverend, pope, cardinal, archbishop, minister of music, and things like that. Those are not in the New Testament Bible. They're set up by men. They are set up as idols in the church. Who do people idolize the most? They idolize reverend so-and-so. There's only one time the word reverend is used in the New Testament Bible. Psalm 111, verse, 19, verse 9, excuse me. He, God, sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name, is God's name. Men began calling ministers reverend, and the ministers loved to be called reverend. It was an idol set up in the churches for the congregations to worship, and they do. That's the first thing I would eliminate on idols. I would never call a man reverend. Neither would I ever attend a church where any man allowed himself to be called reverend. You may think that's unimportant. It is not unimportant. They are idolized. I have an example which shows you how upset congregations can get when you tell them they cannot call that preacher reverend. A young man from the Philippines contacted me. I say young. He was probably in his 40s. He had a wife and child. They lived at housing that was paid for by the church group. In fact, I don't think he had ever had a job outside of the church group. He told me he had lived at that housing since he was 18. He's now 40-something. He heard my message where I spoke about not calling a man reverend, and he, he believed it, and he contacted me. He said, these men love to call themselves reverend, 
he got up at his church and said they should not do this. The church became furious with him. They told him to vacate the church property within a week. He stopped talking to me after that. I had told him he should go get a secular job and preach in his spare time like Paul did. Apparently, he did not do that. He must have recanted the message or something and stayed at the church property. I didn't hear from him for about three years, and then he contacted me, wanting me to send him money because an earthquake had hit the Philippines and destroyed his house and the other houses, which I think probably belonged to that church group. This just shows you how furious a church congregation can get when you break down one of their idols, calling their minister reverend. In 1980, God put me on radio. A woman came to me and said, I'm one of your fans. She was an executive with Braniff, Airlines, which was stationed in Dallas at that time. It was house. The headquarters were in Dallas. I lived in Dallas at that time. Barbara came to me and identified herself. We became friends. She became coordinator for me of all of my travel and ministry, setting up the ministry, the meetings for the ministry, I went into the different cities where I was on radio and had meetings for the radio audiences. I was on radio coast to coast by that time. The first time anyone ever approached me about this word reverend, it was Barbara. She came to me and said, What do we call you, reverend? I was shocked. I said, Oh no, don't call me that. You call me Joan. Although I knew I was a prophet, and certainly it would have been proper to use the term prophet with my name, I knew I was an apostle. And that's proper to use, but never reverend. I didn't mention that I was an apostle at those time, at those years. It didn't even occur to me to mention it. But I did. They did know I was an apostle, a prophet during the time I was on the radio. That's my first encounter with the word reverend, and I was horrified to think that anyone would call a human reverend. Well, they love to be called reverend, I know now. They just, that's one of their goals. Recently, a woman that had, a a real estate dealer in uh, Lubbock, Texas, where I had lived in the past, her nephew, I believe it was, had just graduated from seminary, and they were going to his graduation, and she told me about it, and I started to say to her, well, have a nice time, and God stopped me from saying that, and at the time that God stopped me, that I couldn't say that to her, I thought, I suspect he's calling himself reverend, and the minute that some human puts a cap and gown on him, He'll be called Reverend, and everyone will exalt him as Reverend so-and-so. 
The Protestant churches do this all the time. It's wrong. I would never do this. It is one of the biggest idols in the New Testament church today. If you cannot find the word reverend used with a man, if you can't find it in the New Testament Bible, it is wrong to do it. And that's our basis for evaluating all idols that are set up in the churches today. Is that in the New Testament Bible? Are we told in the New Testament Bible to do that thing that you are teaching the church to do? The Catholic Church is full of idols. They cross themselves. I'm not quite sure why. I think they say they're blessing themselves. That is not in the New Testament Bible or the Old Testament Bible to do such a thing as cross yourself. And yet, this is one of the biggest identifying marks today of a Catholic when you see somebody cross himself. We see football players do this all the time. It's basically a superstition they're following. I see kickers going out on the football field, and before they try to kick their field goal, they cross themselves. Sometimes they make the goal, sometimes they miss the goal, but they never turn away from crossing themselves. It is one of their idols. It's one of the biggest idols in the churches today. Setting up crosses anywhere. We're not told to do that. Jesus said we worship God in spirit and in truth. Let's look at that passage of scripture in John chapter 4. Jesus was passing through Samaria. He stopped at a well and a woman from Samaria came along and he asked her to give him a drink of water. And they began talking and as Jesus told her things about herself, she responded, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. He had told her things that no one had any way of knowing except the people who knew her. So she recognized he was a prophet. Jesus said, oh no, she said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Everything was going to be changed. It hadn't happened yet, but it was coming. Well, he said, he said the now hour now is when you worship the Father in spirit and in truth. But really, the New Testament church was not set up at that time. Jesus had to die first for the sins of the church and be resurrected before the New Testament church was set up. So in verse 21 of John chapter 4, Jesus says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye know, ye worship, ye know not what. 
We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. There was a quite a lot to worship in the flesh in the Old Testament. There were houses built unto God, such as Solomon did, and he was approved by God to do it. He built magnificent temple to God. It was at Jerusalem. Then the children of Israel sinned greatly, and God turned them over to Nebuchadnezzar, and they were put in bondage for 70 years. Nebuchadnezzar took the gold out of the temple in Jerusalem and tore the building down, tore the walls of Jerusalem down, took the people captive, took them away into bondage for 70 years. When they were out of the captivity after the 70 year, it was basically a sentence from God, a 70 year captivity sentence because of the sins the people were doing in Worshipping idols. That is one of the things that recurs over and over with various kings in the Old Testament. The kings worship the idols, set up the idols. The people worship the idols. God had enough of that, and he put the king in captivity or caused a disease to come upon the king And then another king would come, and sometimes they would do what was right in the sight of the God. And the first thing those kings did when they did that which was right in the sight of God was to tear down all the idols. They had idols. Even Solomon set up idols to worship the gods of his strange wives who pulled his heart away from God at the end of his life. The worshiping of idols is the one thing that is the most hated by God. And here we have churches all over who have idols set up. Well, Jesus told the woman, he said, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, not by a church building where there's stained glass and statues, God forbid, all these graven images that those Catholics put up in their buildings, all the homes where the Catholic people in particular set up altars, although I've heard of Baptist people doing this also, where they set up some type of altar in their home, which you can see with your natural eye. This is not worshiping God in the spirit. This is setting up idolatry in your home when you do that. Worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. When you do that, you don't have any visual objects to worship. In spirit, you're not going to see anything. It's not going to look religious. Why do you think the movies so often portray the Catholic Church? Because it has so much you can't see. Their idols are so preponderous and visible to the eye of man. It looks like what man thinks a church should be. It's an abomination. 
This is the first thing God tore down and will tear down at the very end and judge all of these people who call themselves priests and their followers. They will all be judged by God for this idolatry. For we're responsible concerning that which we agree to bow down to. We are responsible. We have Bibles. We have New Testament Bibles today. We are responsible to know those things in the New Testament Bible. And that is what we do in the churches, not this other stuff. So Jesus says to the woman, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't kid yourself. You're not going to be able to go to those churches, call those men reverend, do all those things that they tell you to do which are not in the Bible, and be justified in the sight of God. It can't be done. They like to say Jesus is coming soon, and I really agree with that. We don't know if it will be in our lifetime, but when he comes, we do not want him to find us worshiping some idol that is set up in the New Testament churches. So continuing with this thing of what are the idols today? Well, one of the greatest idols is this crossing yourself that the Catholics do. I don't know if any Protestant groups do this or not. I'm not at all acquainted with uh, Episcopals, which I understand is sort of a Protestant Catholic church where the ministers can marry. And that's another great evil the Catholic church does. They prohibit their ministers from marrying. This is uh, one of the scriptures that's told to us in the end times, the doctrines of devils, will be to prohibit marriage and prohibit the eating of meats. The Catholics do both of those. They have all this child abuse in the Catholic church and they've set up their churches to cater to child abuse because what have they done? Prohibited Priests, well, they call them priests. There's no such thing as priests in the New Testament church. That's Old Testament. They don't even have that right. But they've set up all these ministers in the Catholic church where they cannot marry. What, what kind of person's going to gravitate toward that church? What kind of man's going to gravitate toward that church? Well, homosexuals are. And the people who are child abusers. Well, they have decades of child abuse in the Catholic Church. We all know that. Decades. Do they eliminate the child abuser? Usually they just transfer him to another diocese. Cover the sin. It's horrible. So that he can continue to abuse children in the next parish. Why are you going to one of those places? How in the world could you go to a Catholic church? If you have children, you ought to be terrified. You'd have to warn your children against about the priest. Well, of course, the Protestants do a similar thing in all this thing of 
uh, sexual overtures that their preach that their pastors often make toward women in the congregation. We have many records of that happening. Jimmy Swaggart is a very visible record of a Protestant evangelist doing that, for he was committing a he was having sex with a prostitute. The Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians chapter six that at the time of sexual intercourse, the two people become one flesh. Paul says, flee fornication. Every sin that is done is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It's a sin unlike other sins. And they become one flesh with that person, even if the person is a prostitute. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Also in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul explains that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not a church building any longer like it was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament church, everything changed. We worship God in spirit and in truth. We don't worship at the so to speak, church building and make it into an idol with stained glass and all kinds of crosses and statues. That's an abomination. We worship God in spirit and in truth wherever we happen to be, and our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ who comes to live in us when we believe the truth and we are sealed with the Spirit of God, Ephesians chapter 1. There are 47 verses of Scripture in the Old Testament on concerning the subject of graven images and the forbidding of graven images. And what did the Catholic Church do? What did they do? Set up all these stone statues. And they not only set them up, but they do some kind of ritual where people bow down to them and cite verses of Scripture. This is horrible. This is horrible. You, uh, if anyone's Catholic listening to me, get out of there. Wake up. This is awful. Take the New Testament Bible and read through it. And set yourself straight by the Bible. Now, there are idols in the Protestant churches also, Reverend being one of them. Graven images was a terrible thing. Another thing is holy water. There is only one reference in the Bible to holy water. It is in the Old Testament. Holy water was a bitter water which women who were accused of adultery would agree to drink this bitter water it would, if they were innocent of the adultery, nothing happened to their body. But if they were guilty of the adultery, their stomach would swell and their thigh would rot as a result of drinking this bitter water, which they called holy water in the Old Testament. That's the only time there is any such thing as holy water. Pam Paget was a Catholic and raised Catholic, and she told me that her mother kept a bottle of water in the refrigerator with the label holy water on it, which she had gotten from a Catholic priest. 
And every once in a while, she would have the three daughters sit there at the table and pour out some holy water for them to drink. There is no such thing as holy water. It's just like crossing yourself. There's no such thing as that. I mean, they do it, but there's no such thing as blessing yourself through crossing yourself. You bless yourself when you obey the Word of God, when you obey that Word brought to you by God and follow it, you bless yourself. To use crossing yourself as a religious symbol in the churches today is to set up an idol. One of my favorite superstition stories is a baseball team at the University of Arkansas. They made it to the World Series. I happened to come across it on television. And I looked closely because the people, their fans, were wearing on top of their head bananas. In the dugout, the players would come in from to line up for batting, and they put stalks of bananas on their heads. What on earth was going on? They thought it brought them luck. That's just exactly the same thing as the crossing yourself, except the crossing yourself is more evil because it's in context with religion. Another evil in the churches today is lighting candles. Lighting candles in and of itself is not evil, but to use it in a religious context is evil. For it's not used in the New Testament Bible. It's never cited in the New Testament Bible. In certain settings, lighting candles is used in witchcraft. We see that often when we see movies portraying some form of witchcraft, they have these candles that are lighted. It is not in the New Testament Bible to do this in any context. And for people to think it has something to do with increasing your faith in God while praying or getting your prayers answered is a terrible abomination. Stop doing that immediately if you're doing that. That's evil. You'll really be judged for something like that. It's not in the New Testament Bible to do that. It's an idol set up by men. By the way, that baseball team I told you about, that Arkansas baseball team, I, I kept turning back to that World Series game, College World Series game, because I wanted to see the outcome of it. They were worshiping their bananas. They lost the game. But as far as I know, no one stopped wearing the bananas. People are so foolish, they don't even evaluate their gods. When, um, when they Philistines captured the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon, Dagon was their god. It, Dagon was a tree stump. That I think he had, yeah, he had hands because of the story that's going to happen here. He had hands, he had a head that men had carved, and they set him up. He, of course, he couldn't, 
their God couldn't even walk. They had to set him up there on the pedestal. They brought the Ark of the Covenant in to Dagon and set it up in the house of God. Now, what was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Word of God. The tablets of the Word of God were the thing that were in the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. They put the Ark of the of God in there with the, in the house of Dagon, by Dagon. The next day they came in, and Dagon was lying flat on his face on the floor. So they set Dagon back up on the pedestal. They didn't stop and say, Hey, what's going on here? This can't be a god. If he's a god, let him get back up on his own pedestal. So they set Dagon back up on his pedestal, the next day they came in, and the head of Dagon was cut off, and the palm of his hands were cut off, and all that existed that was left was the tree trunk. Now, what did they do with that information? Did they say, oh, we're not going to worship this false god anymore? No, what they did is they said, we've got to get rid of this Ark of the Covenant because Dagon, our god, is affected by it. That's about like this thing of continuing to cross yourself and all this nonsense that is going on in churches today. It has no power. It has no power. God has power. The things that are of God have power. Everything else is an idol set up by man. Why are you worshiping idols? Don't do that. It's not just the Catholic Church that worships idols and is set up wrong. The Protestants do it too. They make music into a really, really big thing. Music can be a big thing if it is authored by the Holy Spirit through whom he wills. But if it's a program set up by man, it is set up there to control you. I know about music. I was an orchestra director for years. You use music to control your audience. If you want them to be excited and jump up and down, you don't play a solemn hymn. You play something fast and jazzy. You can control an audience in a church just like you can control an audience, a secular audience. I controlled audiences for years with my orchestras. I even wrote a doctoral dissertation on the subject of controlling your audience through programming. Why? What do you do with marches? You control people or a waltz. It controls people in another way. Same thing's done at churches. They play the music when you come in and often they play exit music. It's just like a Broadway musical where you play exit music and entrance music to control the people. That's not what music's supposed to be in the church. In the church, it's singing and making melody in your hearts. It is singing to God. When Paul and one of the other disciples, I think it was Paul, they were put in stocks. It could have been Peter. They were put in prison, put in the stocks, and they sang hymns to God. And the other prisoners heard them singing. That is spiritual. Music can be spiritual. We use uh, we have a hymn 
that we present every day on our blog. We present different hymns on our blog. It's very helpful in worshiping God when it's done in the right way. But if you do it as a, as a big presentation with a great orchestra and with uh, wonderful singers, it becomes entertainment. I uh, showed our blog to a lady one time who's a Catholic, and I took her to the hymn thing and played it for her. And she said, well, don't you have any singing with it? And I said, no, you are supposed to sing. Underneath, on the page where our hymn is presented, we have the words to the hymn. The idea is for you to worship God through the hymn. You sing. And if you can't sing, you just go over the words as the piano. I have a piano that's playing it. Go over the words because it is a worship not an entertainment. There's a big difference. And most music used in churches today is entertainment. At one point, I, even before I was born again, I was even uh, uh, auditioning to be hired as a choir director at, um, it was a Lutheran church. That's what it is. It's all production and not, not a lot of worship in it. They call it worship. Worship is obeying God and following God. That's true worship. These are a few of the idols set up in churches today. On our blog, I have written out these scriptures that I've spoken to you today, so you can see them again if you wish to do so. Go to Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Look on the right-hand side of the page where it says Podcast. Click on that. Find the broadcast entitled Dealing with the Idols in the Churches Today if you want to hear this again or read these scriptures. Again, the name of our blog is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. This is Joan Boney. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.